Hi, welcome to Evangel Church. And uh, my name is Pastor Chris, and we're so glad to have you with us this morning. I'm the senior pastor here at Evangel Church. If this is your first week with us, welcome. If uh, you're just coming back after Easter Sunday, we're thankful that you're here uh, and you're, you're with us. Uh, how many of you enjoyed last Sunday? When we have a great time in God's presence, uh, that was exciting. We had uh, full services, uh, but most importantly, at the end of each service, we saw people stand up and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And lives were changed last Sunday. We praise God for that and for what he did and what he's doing in the hearts and lives of some here even among us uh, this morning. And so if you're back and this is just a brand new, uh, you are seeing life on the other side of an empty tomb. Uh, praise God. We're excited. We're excited with you. I woke up uh, this week as we got done with our Easter services and we were talking with our, our team and our staff uh, and as we were in a planning meeting for this service today, I said to them, I said, you know what, I realized something, that a week later the tomb is still empty, Jesus is still alive, the same power that rose from the dead is still at work in us, and he has an amazing, amazing message uh, and word that he wants to give to us every time we gather together, that there's such importance in us coming together to worship him and to hear from his word. If you've been joining us for some time, you know that we are now starting and embarking on a new series of messages, and it's a church-wide uh, church reading plan entitled New in 42. And what we're doing is we are learning the story of the early church. It's the church of the New Testament. I like to call it the church that changed the world. Why? Because within just a couple of decades, this church turned the world around them upside down, and the good news of Jesus was moving out and changing communities and areas, and uh, we are now here today as a result of this church that changed the world. And we're learning uh, from God's word what that church looks like. And part of the vision we believe God has put into our heart uh, as evangel church is that we're about changed lives, changing lives. And in 2015, it's our prayer that we would become like the church that changed the world. That when we read God's word, we would see those same things happening in our midst today. How many of you believe that if Jesus is alive today, then we should expect and experience what it says in his word, what happened to those that believe? He said, these signs will follow those who believe. And today, if we stand saying, yes, Lord, we believe in you, we believe in your word, then I'm believing that this story will become our story. And that's exciting. Some of you picked up a copy of our, uh, the book that we printed. It's basically the reading plan, all printed out in chronological order. It's all the text of the scriptures from Acts to Revelation. And what excites me is that in two years, last year, we studied and walked through in a 40-day plan, See Like Jesus, which brought us through all four of the gospel accounts. Now we're starting in the book of Acts, going all the way to Revelation, in two years, we as a church have journeyed together through the entirety of the New Testament, really learning God's word. Isn't that important? It's important that we know God's word, and it's important that we study uh, his word and grow together. <laughs> Pastor Marshall really guilted you. You're excited now. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as we're going through this book, I want to let you know we have a few more hundred copies of this available, so if you have not yet signed up to be a part of the reading plan and you have you've dived in, you got the, uh, you're reading it in your Bible through the, uh, through the bookmark, but you'd like to, a copy of it written, you can go out to the foyer today at the special event center. You can pick one up there. If you'd like to download it, it's on evangelchurch.com. You can download it onto your e-reader. Uh, you can also pick up one of the bookmarks and you can read along right in your Bible every day. For those that have taken the journey, it's been an amazing, uh, amazing, amazing first week of reading together. Uh, my wife and I are part of one of the groups and we just love uh, getting together, not just reading, 
meeting on our own, but when we come together in one of the groups that are meeting, uh, we just really experience something very special as we are all talking, praying together, experiencing the story uh, in community. I want you to know that there's still an opportunity for you to jump in to a group. We have over 30 groups that are available and meeting all around our area. Some of them are not yet full, so please stop out in the foyer after service. Ask someone about joining a group, and we'd love to plug you in. You want to do this not just by yourself, but in community the way that the early church did. So as we're reading together, it's been an exciting experience. I have one more thing I want to remind you of, uh, and we haven't talked about it much, but on Sunday nights, there is a series on NBC at 9 o'clock. So tonight is the second episode of it. It's called AD. It's by um, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey who are the creators of the Bible series and the Son of God movie. They have gone forward to create a mini-series that walks through the book of Acts. And if anyone watched it last Easter Sunday, it was powerful. It brought you from the time that Jesus died on the cross to the empty tomb. And so if you want to see a, a, a television show that literally is parallel to what we're reading together in God's Word, then tune in and let's read, uh, watch that together and see the story even come to life on the big screen. It was a great first start, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing ministry that they have, uh, Mark and Roma, because they believe that God's Word can reach out via media and through te television, and they want to see lives change through this. So be praying for that and be praying that many people would read and see God's Word come to life for them. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 1. If you are involved in our New and 42 reading plan and you're not yet, then jump in today and just get started. But the great part is that we are going to be going through and preaching. Uh, you'll hear messages on what you have been reading during the previous week. So today we're going to be preaching on some of the very passages that you've been reading and praying about this week. And my prayer is that this will just continue to come to life and that God would speak to you in the depths of your heart. So let me pray for us as you're turning there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the life that comes from knowing your word. I thank you, Lord, that it gives witness and testimony to who you are. We thank you for the story of the early church. And Lord, we know that there are key attributes that are inside of that church, Lord. And when we look at that church and we look at the church today, we see so many differences. We see the similarities, Lord, that you are still lifted high. But Lord, we want to pray and, and believe together again for a day where, where there is such life in your church, Lord God, that your spirit is moving in power, that we are seeing blind eyes open, Lord God. We're seeing the lame walk. We're seeing people walk out in boldness into the community without fear, even if persecution were to come, Lord God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, change us, transform us as we read your word, Lord God. May this not just be a story. May it become our story, the story of the church that changed the world. May it be ours today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I prayed, and as you will soon see, as we walk through this story, the story of the church that changed the world, we have found that there are some key attributes that come out of that church. And you look at the church, this early church that was just uh, so radical in their faith and generosity, moved by the power of the Spirit, the supernatural followed them wherever they went. There are some key attributes of that church that we want to get deep into our hearts as we take this journey together. And so each week in groups and as you're reading, you will see some common themes and we will unpackage those on Sunday mornings. And the first thing that we need to know, and if you've been reading along, you can see it because it shows up so often. There's this one principle that starts the early church and it's something we need to grab a hold of today. And it's found uh, first showing up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And here's what Jesus said. 
He said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Here's what we need to know today. What Jesus said is a promise, a promise for them and a promise for us today. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The church that changed the world was a church that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The church that changed the world was a church that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And today, if we desire to be that church, we should desire to be empowered in the same way that they were. Now, when Jesus first said this, we we gravitate towards Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but we miss that first word there. The very first word in the verse is, but... And that is placed there because it is Jesus responding to something that had been asked of him. And as he's correcting their perception and understanding, he closes with this statement. What is it that they were actually talking about that led Jesus to say these words that we know some of us so well? Well, his disciples had come to follow him for the greater part of three years. They had become his disciples, his followers, and they were very excited about what they were seeing. They were terrified at times, but they were intrigued because this man, Jesus, their teacher, didn't just teach with authority. He practiced what he taught, and he demonstrated what he was talking about through signs and wonders and miracles. And so not only did he talk about the Lord and God's ways, but he healed the sick and he allowed the lame to walk and even raised the dead to life. And because of that, people were ecstatic. They were astounded over this man, Jesus. And so they followed him. And many began to follow him when he worked miracles and and performed these signs and wonders. And, And as they walked towards Jerusalem on what we celebrated two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, Palm Sunday, The people that were gathered together on the streets, they were so excited because they believed Jesus was this king, this Messiah, this messianic figure that had come. And he had come to overthrow the Roman Empire. He had come to change the world. They called him, as we said a few weeks ago, son of David, because they believed just like King David we read about in the Old Testament, came and he conquered kingdoms and he administered God's justice and he established God's kingdom here on earth that one day there would come a son, an offspring of David, and he would be the one to establish God's kingdom again. And therefore, he would rule Jerusalem and he'd rule Israel and they would have a nation again, just like they wanted to be, instead of being held in persecution under the Roman Empire. And so when they said, oh, son of David's coming, they meant their king is coming. And he's coming in power. And the power that he comes to bring will be one that is like an army that can overcome and overthrow all the people that are oppressing them. And so his disciples and all the other followers, as they're nailing him to the cross, they're realizing he isn't the king we hoped for. He isn't the king they wanted. But guess what? He's the king that they needed. Because they wanted him to overthrow some some political figure, some empire in this world, some enemy that they could see and touch. But he came to destroy a greater enemy, sin and death and Satan, so he could be vanquished and defeated. And so he came to give us the greatest victory, and it would only come through his death and his resurrection. So now that Jesus has risen from the dead, and his followers are there among him, his disciples have this question for him. They said, so now, teacher, Lord, is this the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Is this the time where you're going to be the king that we thought you were going to be? And he, Jesus looks at them and he says, 
That time isn't for you to know. That hour, the hour that we have a promise of, even the book of Revelation, that hour that's coming when the Lord will return as a conquering king, he said the hour isn't coming yet and it's not for you to know. But you will receive power. So there's a power that's coming. It's not military power. It's not a power that you could grasp. It's not the power that you think you would want. It's a different kind of power. It's a power you're going to receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're not going to be a general. You're going to be a witness. And you're going to be a witness to this one thing. That I died and rose from the dead. That I died and there's life in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's healing in the name of Jesus. And he said, the same things that marked my ministry will now mark your ministry. Wait on that gift. And then Jesus, after, sometime right after that, ascended into heaven. He told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait on the gift of the Father. And ten days later, as they were gathered together in an upper room on the day of Pentecost, something amazing happened. Let's read together in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. This was the day that the church was born. The church that changed the world. This is the church's birthday. When they were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost, Jesus made them a promise. He said, I'm going to the Father, but wait, because the Father's going to send a gift. And who is it he's going to send? The one we talked about, even around communion. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he will come as a comforter, as a counselor, as one that will lead you into all truth. And Jesus said, so wait on the promise of the Father. Wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that God desires to give. And so they went And they went and they waited in this upper room and they prayed and they sought the Lord together. And it was 10 days later, after a season of stillness, as we talked about as a church, a time of waiting upon the Lord and for his promise to come to pass, that the room was shaken. The tongues of fire fell upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. This was a promise that God had made, a promise that would reap an amazing harvest of people. This would be a day that would literally change the world around them. But the day of Pentecost had significance that went far beyond just what we read about in the New Testament. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. You see, because Pentecost was one of the feasts that the Jewish people celebrated. And if you go back to Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, the Lord is speaking to his people, to Israel, as they're in the wilderness, and he says to them that there's a time that's coming whenever you're not going to be in the wilderness anymore. Instead, you're going to be in the land that I'm going to give you, the promised land, the place flowing with milk and honey, this place of blessing. And he said, when you get there, there's going to be a great harvest, and you need to remember me. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 26, starting in verse 1. It says, then it shall be, that when you enter the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. Here's what the Lord is calling for. He's calling for an offering to be given. He said, I'm going to take you to a new place. And when I bring you to that new place, it isn't where we are right now. And whenever everything is changed, 
You have to remember me. Keep me at the center by taking the first fruits of all that you bring in and collect it, put it in a basket, and then come to the place where I choose to establish my name. Come to the place of worship and bring it before me. And by doing that, you're relying upon the Lord. You're showing your dependency. You're showing your reverence. You're showing your thanks. You're giving an offering back to the Lord for all that he has done for them. See, in that, the day of Pentecost, the promise of Pentecost, the promise of a great harvest, a great return, a day where fruit would, be, would, would bear and come to fruition and grow. It was a day where the people would remember God's hand and his provision. They would always remember what the Lord has done for them and how he's provided when they didn't have the strength to provide for themselves. Pentecost was the great, the great reminder that we can't do it on our own that it's only by the hand of the Lord that anything real and substantive could be accomplished. And so if we want something of substance in our lives, it can only be done through the hand of the Lord. Pentecost was that reminder for them. Just as the Passover, which was celebrated 50 days earlier, was a reminder of God's hand of deliverance and freedom, that God had the power to, to set his people free. Pentecost was a reminder that God is a God who provides exactly what we need in the season that we're in. And so when we look back in the Old Testament, we see these two feasts, these two times that commemorated key moments in Israel's history. And what's amazing is that on the same weekend that we celebrate Passover, we also remember the Lord's sacrifice because he was our Passover lamb. And on that Passover of that year, Jesus died for our sins. And then three days later on Easter, what happened? He rose from the dead and he overcame sin and death and then he appeared to his disciples over 40 days and 10 days later, 50 days after, Jesus had risen from the dead, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God. This parallels perfectly with what we read about in the Old Testament because the Passover happened, the people were in the wilderness, they then get to Mount Sinai and we talked about this in one of our previous messages in our Identity Crisis series. Moses went up Mount Sinai, and what did he come down with? The law, written on tablets. But when he came down with the law, was he excited with what he saw? No. He was not happy about what he saw because the people who were there left to their own devices, they created a, a calf, a golden calf, and they began to worship it and said, this is now our God. And so when he came down with the law, the people were judged. And on that day, the Bible says 3,000 people died. 3,000 people lost their lives. So follow me on this. We see in the original Old Testament, this story as it's first told, that the Passover happens. The people are set into the wilderness. As they're in the wilderness, Moses goes up the mountain, comes down with the law. The people are judged. 3,000 die. But we read here in the New Testament because of Jesus, and we know that Jesus changes everything. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead, making it possible for us to have forgiveness, making it possible for us to have a new life, making all God's promises become a reality in our lives where he says, no longer am I going to write my law on stone tablets. I'm going to write them on your heart and I'm going to give you a heart to know me and to walk in my ways. He said, just as that happened, Jesus then ascended into heaven and what came down? The Holy Spirit. 
Moses goes up the mountain, the law comes down. Jesus goes up into heaven, the spirit comes down. And on the day of Pentecost, whenever Peter preaches the word of God, and it says they're cut to the quick, how many people are saved that day? 3,000 people are saved that very day. We see that Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and now lives are being changed and saved in the presence of God. We see that God is changing something. He's changing something as he's changing his people. It's a promise, Pentecost is, that we can rely upon God and he has for us just what we need as we keep him at the center. And so I want us to take a look a bit deeper at what it means to be the church that changed the world as an empowered people, an empowered church, one that is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to learn what it means to be an empowered people, we need to really understand three things. The first thing is the purpose. There's a key purpose for why we would be empowered, and Jesus gave it. He did not say you will receive power so that you'll become popular. He didn't say that. He didn't say you're going to receive power so that people will be really excited about you. He didn't say you're going to receive power so that people would fear you and protect you. He said, you will receive power to be my witnesses. That there is a purpose, and the purpose is to be a witness to and of the gospel's power in someone's life. We are a witness of that gospel. That gospel is good news. The good news is this, that we were dead in our sins, but Jesus died in our place, and he rose from the dead on the third day, and we have life in the power of his name. And because of that, we can give witness to that, meaning that we become those who have experienced that power in our lives. And the purpose of, of Jesus saying the Holy Spirit would come upon us is to give us power in our lives, in the ye yesterday, today, and tomorrow, in the life that we live, to be a witness for him, to tell others of who he is, and to give witness to the fact that Jesus is alive today and that he can change lives because he's changed us. So if we don't understand that purpose, we will miss out on why we would even desire to be an empowered people. That empowerment comes so that we can be a witness in this world. The Holy Spirit operating in your life, and that's God's desire it's his promise for every child that calls upon his name, everyone that would believe that we are not left alone. And the Holy Spirit desires to come into our lives and to lead and guide us so that we can become who Jesus called and created us to be. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so many, they have misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person, and he was a promised one from God to come and now lead us as the church, as the people of God, so that we could see the world changed around us. It's not in our own power, though. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not in your own power. You can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. In the same way that God showed that he would lead and guide his people the same way he showed in Pentecost that he'd provide exactly what they needed in their greatest and most desperate hour. God's proving again every time we celebrate Pentecost that he is giving us exactly what we need, power from on high so that we can walk in a way that he's called us to walk. We can't do it on our own. Some of you, you needed that reminder from your spouse because maybe you have a project at home that still hasn't been completed because you think you can do it on your own. I know we all have a couple of those, right? We have a few things that we've been working on and in, uh, in, in our pride, instead of admitting defeat, we just say it's a work in progress. I'll get to it later. You have something at home, I know it's tucked away somewhere that you just don't know how to put it together and your spouse keeps saying, call someone. No, I don't need to call anyone. Same way I don't need directions. Um, 
but we just, we just want to do it on our own. Guess what? We have to get over that pride that we can't do it on our own. And Pentecost is a great reminder that Jesus has called this group of followers to go out and change the world. And if we think that that's going to be in our own strength and in our own power, we are fooling ourselves. The Lord knows and he desires to empower us. The Holy Spirit desires to lead and guide us and work and operate in our lives. And we can't forget that. Look at, flip with me to the very next chapter in Acts chapter 3. You're going to see here there's a story that's unfolding right before our eyes. And you read about it this week. It's Peter and John. It says they were going up to the temple during the hour of prayer. And there was a man who was lame from birth that was placed there by a gate called Beautiful. And therefore, every person that walked in to worship, they'd come in and as they're coming trying to please the Lord, they had to pass by this guy who was begging for a handout. And as this man's begging for a handout and as he's trying to get something from them, many people would give him an alms. They'd give him something and just, just make themselves feel better. And as he's walking, as, as Peter's walking and, and John are walking towards the gate and this man is sitting there, he's lame, he's crippled, he's been placed there every single day. Everyone knew him. He reaches out to them and he says, can you give me something? And the word says that Peter and John intently stare at him. And as they're staring at him, they say, look at us. And Peter says, silver or gold we have not, but what we do have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, the Nazarene walk. And he grabs him by the hand and he lifts him up. And this man, it says his sockets come back into place. His ankles are strengthened and he leaps to his feet, miraculously healed in the name of Jesus the Nazarene. Now, if you're reading along at this point, you have to be amazed that this miracle has happened. This wasn't Jesus that was walking around. This were his disciples now. And it shows us something, that when we are full and filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus said, you will go on to do these miracles that you've seen me do in greater things to those who will believe will come. That there is a man who has been crippled since birth, is healed in the name of Jesus. And he's running around and he's excited about what God has done. And all the people begin to gather together. And I love this part because as Peter notices this, as he sees everyone's come together, he takes an opportunity to speak to them pretty candidly. And here's what he says. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, when Peter saw this, he says, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? Peter uses this opportunity to correct the perception immediately. He said, why do you think that's because of us that this man's walking today? And he goes on to boldly proclaim the gospel. And he said, you killed the author of life. You killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And it's in the power of his name, the name of Jesus, that this man walks today. Do you know why? Because they needed them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can't do it on our own. We do not have the strength in and of ourselves to heal this man. We do not have the ability to make him well but there's someone whose name there is power. There's someone who at his name, at his name there is healing today. And he gave it to them. And I love how he says it because it's a reminder that we need to realize today is our purpose is to be a witness to Jesus. And to be a witness to Jesus means that everywhere we go, we have one thing to offer people. 
It's not our words. It's not our eloquent thoughts. It's not even our resources. It's exactly what Peter and John said. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you Jesus today. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That's what we have if we're his witness. We have Jesus. And Jesus calls us to share that news, the good news, with everyone that we come in contact with. And so often I think we wonder how we will have the right words, how we will have the right thing, how we could do the right thing that someone would need. How can we supply that need? Let's get over that thinking for just a moment. If we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what we simply say. What I have, I give to you, Jesus. And as we enter into prayer with them, as we come in faith and we believe together, miracles will follow those that believe. Does anyone still believe there's power in the name of Jesus to heal sickness? That there's power in his name to bring freedom to captives? That there's power in his name to change a life? Because if we believe that, this is our story. This is what happened as they walked obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. They realized what they had to offer wasn't anything in their own strength. It was Jesus and him alone. So the first thing we have to realize that the, the, the purpose of this is really just to be a witness to the gospel. That's the main purpose in being empowered in this life. The power Jesus promises is so that those of us that say, I'm ready to be a witness. I want to be living proof that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to be used. In every one of us, Jesus commands us to go out into the world and to make disciples. The second thing that happens through this empowerment is there's a passion that comes into our life. And our passion isn't for the things anymore that, that just please us. Our passion isn't for telling people about our own thoughts, or our own ideologies. Our, our passion isn't about getting people to like us anymore. Our passion isn't about our hobbies and all those other things that can take all of our attention and affection and excitement. Our passion is about something brand new. Our passion is to share boldly and confidently what Jesus has done in our lives. And some of us, we are so willing to be passionate about our favorite team. We're so willing to be passionate about our favorite hobby. We're excited to be passionate about our favorite movie that we'll, we'll dress up like the person and show up and passionate about our favorite piece of technology and we'll camp out in front of the store. How many today are passionate about the name of Jesus and that he saves? Because that's what he wants to give us a passion, to share his word, to share who he is to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus is alive and he's going to save and change your life today. Where would we be? Where would I be without someone having the courage and the boldness to get over themselves and share this news with me? We hold on to this treasure, this amazing news, and we don't need to say it afraid. We don't need to say it fearfully. In the same way that we are sure that Jesus rose from the dead, we are sure that he could change anyone's life that does not know him. We don't need to be ashamed of that. What does he say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's the power of God to save. And the Holy Spirit comes. And I so believe that one of the things that were marked and different about this, because as you're reading, if you're reading along, and if you've read the gospels, you see these same disciples, they're running, they're fleeing, they're hiding, they're arguing, and now something happened after Jesus rose from the dead. They're organized, they're eloquent, they're speaking with confidence, they're not afraid, they're not ashamed. I can't help but think that when Jesus said, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses, part of that power comes with a boldness, a boldness and a confidence to share our faith in Jesus. 
And at a moment's notice, when you don't feel like you have the words to say, if you're relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you are deciding to seek God in that way, I believe that exactly what we read about in the Word will come to you as well. That just as they were full of the Holy Spirit, then they spoke. That as we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, we then speak and God seasons our very words and changes everything. Acts chapter 4 begins to tell the story of this man who had been made well. See, all the religious leaders are going crazy because they don't know what has made this man well. In whose name? What has healed him? What has someone done? Because we know that we know that we know that this is a miracle. And we need to know how this miracle took place. And so they bring in Peter and they bring in John and they say to them, look at verse 7 in Acts chapter 4. They place them in the center and they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? What power or what name gives you the authority that a man could be healed at your very word? And I love this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. See, it wasn't Peter just having the right word to say. Jesus didn't give them some kind of cheat sheet and say, this is how you confound the authorities when they grab you. He gave them his spirit. And as he was there, it said, filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke. And I believe that in our moment of greatest need, that if we're relying and walking in the Spirit, He will fill our mouths with the exact words that we need in the exact moment that we need it. Consider with me, on the day of Pentecost, what's the first thing that God took hold of? The tongue, right? If you're reading, you read on our fourth day uh, through James, and you're reading through James, and he gets to that point where he talks about the tongue and the power of the tongue. It's like a rudder to move and to change and to go in any direction. There's such power in what comes out of our mouth. And in that moment that God took hold of a life as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. And they're not just speaking gibberish. They were speaking praises to God in other languages. What does that mean? It means that literally the power of the Holy Spirit had power over what they were saying. And they didn't even have the words within themselves. Some of you have had this happen to you where you've been put in a position where you needed to share your faith in Jesus, and you got done talking, you didn't even know what you said. And maybe the person came to the Lord, maybe his life was changed, uh, whatever the case might have been, but the Holy Spirit was speaking through you as you were seeking and as you were relying upon his power. That is what God has promised to us. That's the power Jesus spoke of when he said we have power to be his witnesses. It's a passion to proclaim the gospel and to share the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. We also see that outside of that passion, there comes the power. There's the proclamation of the gospel, and that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers our life. But there's another way that the power of the Holy Spirit flows through our life. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 3. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit literally being manifested in a miracle, in some kind of gift that changes someone's life. And that is power to demonstrate the gospel. The power that comes that Jesus promised wasn't just for persuasive words. But just as Paul says, and we'll read about it in a, in a little over a week, that I didn't come to you with wise and eloquent speech, but with a demonstration of what? The Spirit's power. And it's through those demonstrations of the Spirit's power that we are literally living proof of the gospel, living proof of what Jesus has done. 
that you can argue all you want and debate, but whenever there's a man that was dead that's now alive, it makes it a little hard to, to argue with, right? Whenever you literally see blind eyes being opened, it is validating, demonstrating that the gospel that is being preached isn't just a story. It's the power of God to save and change lives. And we need to know today that as the Holy Spirit empowers us, that we will see the same signs follow. There are people that are among you, the people sitting right in your pews around you, they are living proof that the power of God is still available today, that God still heals today, that God still sets free today, that God still restores today, that God still provides today, that God can breathe life into situations that are hopeless. That's the power of God. And everything about that is to demonstrate the gospel. In the same way that you'd show up at a place and maybe you've walked through a store and there's someone that believes so much in the product that they say, here, have a demonstration of it. Taste and see how good this is. Taste and see that this is exactly what we said it is. The first thing someone will do when they're trying to convince you that something is legitimate is they will show you a demonstration of it. And the demonstration of the Spirit's power is the supernatural. Our signs and wonders not for our sake, not so that we would ever get the glory, not so that we would even be recognized. Do you see how Peter and John are actually frustrated that they're getting any attention over what's happened? They're saying it's not in our power, it's in the name of Jesus. And as you have a heart's desire to make him known, to allow others to see him, you can go and you can pray for the sick and believe and in the name of Jesus they would be healed. You can go in, in boldness, trusting the Lord, saying, I don't have anything to give you. I can't heal you. I can't do anything. But in the name of Jesus, I pray that you be made well. And God moves. And God answers prayers of faith. And God demonstrates his power, the power of the gospel through signs and wonders. And those happen through the, the gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A life that is yielded, a life that is completely surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit is one where you see fruit, is one where you see gifts flowing and functioning, one where you see power. But that power isn't for us. And it's not for us to hold on to. It's not for us to take lightly. If you read in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, you read about Simon the sorcerer. He came to believe in Jesus and he was a man everyone was so excited about because he had some, some magical arts that he was dabbling in. And people thought he was from God until he met and saw real power for what it was. And he put his faith in Jesus, but he made this critical mistake. He thought he could actually purchase that power for himself. And he goes to the apostles with money and said, can you give me the power so that the Holy Spirit will come on people when I touch them? And he was rebuked because it wasn't about him. Everything they were doing wasn't about them. It was about making Jesus known. And today I pray that if you have it deep in your heart, if you believe, as we talked about last week, that Jesus rose from the dead and that changes everything, then you should have a burden that comes along with that belief that every person that does not yet know about the saving power of the name of Jesus Christ, that they would know. And if it's your desire that they would know, then I want you to realize today that God's promise is for you, that he will fill you with power to be his witness in this world in your job, in your home, in your relationships. Quit relying upon your own power. Be empowered by the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Would you stand with me today? 
And would you close your eyes with me right now? And in whatever way that you feel led to just open your heart before the Lord, whether it's lifting your hands, whether it's taking a posture of prayer, whatever your symbol, your sign to God of your surrender would be, would you just open yourself to him right now? Jesus, you see the condition of every heart that's here. Lord, you hear every cry. You know exactly where we are. Lord, and for those whose desire it is to be a witness for you, to know you and to make you known, Lord. Lord, I pray today that the power of your Holy Spirit would fall upon them. Lord, I pray today that you would change them from the inside out. Lord, I pray that we would have an experience what they experienced on the day of Pentecost, that each would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that it would overflow in their lives. Jesus, would you come with your promise? Holy Spirit, would you fall? Would you empower us to live a marked life, an pa- empowered life to be the people that you've called and created us to be? Holy Spirit, come and have your way in our lives. We don't want to hear anything else but your word. We don't want to do anything else but walk in obedience to where you lead us. In Jesus' mighty name. This morning, I want to give an opportunity for you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. This isn't something that I can manufacture. It's not something you can manufacture. Jesus promised that if we wait upon him, then he would empower us. He would reveal himself. The Holy Spirit would fall upon his people. And I want to tell you to not get yourself overwhelmed or hyped up and and just become so captive thinking about past experiences. And there's so many misconceptions that can come with the work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. But I want to share with you very briefly as I invite you to come forward my experience. I had only known Jesus for two days as my Lord, my Savior. And I came to him because of the gospel. Someone told me that he died for my sins and he rose from the dead and he desired to give me a brand new life. And I, and I was so moved. My life was so transformed by that moment that I said, God, I give you everything that I am. And if this is true, then I will live for you. I will live to make you known. Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And two nights later, the speaker was there and he said, God has a promise for everyone who belongs to him that he will empower your life, that he has more for you, that if you want to have a life that's overflowing in the presence of God, that he will lead and guide you. Then come to this altar and just pray and begin to worship the Lord and begin to call out to him and he will meet you here tonight. That's all that was said. And I came forward. I had no idea what I was walking into. And within minutes, my, my, I'm opening my mouth and words are coming out I don't understand. I'm, I'm not even sure what's happening until someone after service sits down with me and opens God's word and says, that was the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened to me? Something changed because when I went home and as I left that place, I was filled with such a passion, such a boldness. I had such a confidence in the Lord. He, he, he really did something deep in my heart that marked me and changed me. And I want to tell you, that's what we're going to pray for at these altars today. Is that for everyone that needs a touch from God, that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. You need to be filled with confidence again. Because every time that they were shaken, every time they felt defeated, every time they felt hard-pressed, do you see in the Word what it says they did? They came together, they prayed, they sought the Lord, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That He gives the Holy Spirit to refill you, to give you a boldness, to give you a confidence. And today, if you need that, would you just simply come? 
Today, if you want to experience a touch from God, just step right out of your seats and just come down to this altar and just allow these last moments. We don't have anywhere, anywhere we need to rush off to. We're going to give these next moments to just be a time of seeking God's presence together. So come right out of your seats if that's you. Come on right down. Even if you're in the balcony, come down. And would you just wait at these altars upon the promise of God that he would fill your life, that he would touch you afresh and anew today. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, would you meet us as we come? Holy Spirit, come and have your way. That's you, just continue to come. If you are desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're desiring confidence today, whatever it might be, just come right out of your seat. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be worried about. This is us just waiting on the promise of God together. Lord Jesus, come, lead us, we pray. Jesus. We're going to take these next moments and we're just going to worship the Lord. And I encourage everyone, just lift your voices, sing out, Pray, continue to seek the Lord. Ask him to come into your life, reveal himself to you. And we're not going to close the service until after this song. So please, let's all just worship the Lord together and wait upon him. Let's sing together.